Well, good afternoon, everyone. So nice to be with you all here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, have the opportunity to speak to you all. I bring greetings from our brethren in the United Kingdom and uh, from Ireland, and uh, it's certainly uh, been a beautiful autumn there uh, with all the colors. I mean, this part of the world, you have such beautiful uh, fall foliage, and uh, it's a delight to, to see that. Now, what would you think uh, if I stated that Prince Charles may never become King of Great Britain and Northern Ireland? You know that the Queen, of course, is now in her 80s. Uh, she has, one of the, has had one of the longest reigns of any British monarch. Uh, but uh, some things are happening in this uh, part of the world, in, in our part of the world, uh, that uh, could really change things. Many people have suggested that uh, uh, Prince William might uh, become king in place of Prince Charles. Well, what would you say if uh, I was to say to you that possibly no member of the present royal family will sit on the throne of David in just a few short years? Would that surprise you? Well, I don't think it should surprise you. Because things that are happening in Europe are happening so fast that everything that we have taken for granted in British history over the last 1,000 years is changing. What am I talking about? Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 21. Ezekiel chapter 21, there's a prophecy here. Uh, this was, of course, a dual prophecy. It was... Uh, uh, of course, partly fulfilled uh, in the time of Zedekiah, the last king of Judah. But here in Ezekiel chapter 21, we have a prophecy pertaining to the house of David, the throne of David, uh, which we're going to see fulfilled in our time. If you actually go through the, uh, the chapter, it's clearly, clearly talking about Zedekiah. But we come to a part here in verse 25, where it says, Now to you, O profane pr wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, whose iniquity shall end. Thus says the Lord God, Remove the turban and take off the crown. Nothing shall remain the same. Exalt the humble and humble the exalted. Overthrown, overthrown, I will make it overthrown. It shall be no longer until he comes whose right it is, and I will give it to him. And of course, that one is Jesus Christ himself, when he comes as King of kings and Lord of lords. So, there seems to be a hiatus between the time of uh, the last overthrow of the throne of David here, and the time that Jesus Christ comes to claim, and rightfully claim, uh, that position. Now you might say, well, haven't we always had a king sitting on the throne of, of David? Well, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 33 and understand uh, that the prophecy for the throne of David, uh, lasting for all time, uh, was given in the context of one particular aspect. In Jeremiah chapter 33 and here in verse uh, 17, notice what it says. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man 
to sit on the throne of Israel. This is uh, Jeremiah 33, verse 17. Nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings. Are there any Levites offering burnt offerings at the moment? No. But is there a lack? No. God knows where the Levites are. And we know from the latter part of Ezekiel chapter, from Ezekiel chapter 40 on, that the Levitical priesthood will be reestablished at the time of Christ's return. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so what this means <coughs> is that uh, just as there will be a time when the Levitical system will be reestablished, so we have the same thing here. Notice verse uh, uh, 20. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so there shall, so that there will not be day nor and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. What am I talking about when I said there was a break in the uh, royal line? Well, in the year 1649, many of you will remember the fact that the Parliament of Great Britain captured King Charles I, tried him in front in the Parliament, and took him away and cut his head off. A King of England was beheaded by the Parliament. And he was replaced by what was called the Commonwealth. And the leader of that commonwealth was one Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell uh, raised up his army at Huntingdon in Huntingdonshire, about 10 minutes from where we live. And I've been to the actual place where <laughs> it's an old pub. If you look up to the, <laughs> up to the top, onto the, uh, what you'd call the second floor, what we call the first floor in England, uh, your first floor is our ground floor. Your second floor is our first floor. Remember that when you go to England or you'll get lost. <laughs> and we got in the elevator, the lift, <laughs> downstairs, and my wife pressed one, and the doors opened. <laughs> <clears throat> because we had to remember that, of course, this is the second floor, which is logical. You guys have got it right, but... We're right because we're British. <laughs> you might be right because it's logical, but we're right because we're British. <laughs> How do we get onto that? <laughs> well, um, Charles I, as I said, lost his head, and Oliver Cromwell took his place, and that's what I was saying. <laughs> up there on that uh, second floor, is where he signed up all his army to, to fight against uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the royalists, the forces of Charles I. It's a whole story. We won't go into it. But for 11 years, from 1649 till 1660, Britain was without a king on the throne. I don't know if you all knew that, but that's what happened. And then in 1660... The British basically said, well, we've had enough of all these presidents, <laughs> this republicanism, we want to go back to the throne. So they reinstated the son of Charles I, Charles II, and it was called, understandably, the Restoration. 
and uh, so many of the things that uh, Cromwell had outlawed, including Christmas, he had outlawed Christmas in Britain, uh, that was reinstated, and so everyone was able to have a jolly good time once again. So the point I'm making is this. <clears throat> we could very well come to the point in the very near future where there will not be anyone sitting on the royal throne of Great Britain. And uh, it's quite amazing to think of that, and the purpose of the sermon today is to show you how such a thing could come to pass. You notice I'm not saying will. I'm saying could come to pass. Because events are happening so very, very quickly now in Europe that at the end of this sermon, I think you are going to be amazed at just how quickly things are happening. Last month, the 6th, and the final treaty of the European Union was signed by all heads of government in Portugal. Uh, this has hastened the demise of the sovereign states of Europe, including Great Britain. And what we are witnessing is an acceleration of legal, constitutional and economic domination of the 27 member states of the European Union by the European Commission mainly, Parliament to a certain extent, but mainly the European Commission, which is centred in Brussels. So as I said, we're going to examine today how the hot breath of prophecy is already being felt by the British people. Do not think, though, that other modern Israelitish nations will be isolated from what lies ahead, including the United States of America. The European Union will touch this country. Not as quickly <laughs> as it touches me or my wife. Now, my license has a little symbol at the top left, a blue flag with 12 gold stars around it. These are the 12 gold stars. If you turn to with me to Revelation chapter 12, <coughs> the Roman Catholic Church teaches and believes that this <coughs> scripture identifies Mary, Queen of Heaven. Let's read what it says. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. And of course, Mary is always dressed in blue, which symbolizes the sky. And so that's why the European Union has this particular flag, the blue with 12 gold stars. And so you can see that in many areas, uh, we are being coming under more and more control of the European Union. I shall give you an example. Here I have two passports, two Australian passports, my wife's and mine. When I uh, applied for my work visa for the United Kingdom, uh, I was able to uh, receive that visa because my, I had two grandparents born in England. And that meant that I was eligible for what's called a UK Ancestry Visa. There it is. That allows me to live and work in the United Kingdom for five years. 
The only thing it does say, no recourse to public funds. In other words, if Dr. Meredith sacks me, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> I'd be in big trouble in a lot of ways, Dr. Meredith. <laughs> However, the point I'm wanting to make is this. This was issued by the British High Commission in Canberra. At the top we have the uh, crown with UK in a, um, what do we call that, a uh, hologram. Thanks. Here it has UK entry clearance. Here we have superimposed Oniswaki Malipons and uh, Dieu et mon droit. So these are symbols of the British government. This was issued in May of last year, 06. My wife also received a corresponding one because she's my spouse. She can work there in the UK as well. And she had need recently to update hers. So we went off to the, uh, the uh, home office in Croydon. Dr. Monale knows where this is. It's right next door to where we had church there. And they issued a new one. Same purpose, but this says residence permit. Here it still has the lion and the unicorn. Here's the crown at the top. But this, what, this hologram, which was UK, now has European Union and the 12 stars of the European Union. It says 1st of May in English and then MAI in French. It also has uh, um, residence permit. So this is now, oh, oh, down the bottom, it has a bull running over five stars that's the beast amazing you can see that things are moving forward in the UK that the European Union has more control each day as things go by <clears throat> so our understanding of our Israelitish descendancy is the most important and most vital key to knowing what's going to happen in the United Kingdom, in the United States, in Britain, as I said, and Australia and other countries. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32, because here we have a prophecy. We normally will use Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, and we will probably turn to some of those a little later, but Deuteronomy chapter 32 is an interesting prophecy because it was given by Moses just before his death. <clears throat> and if you have uh, at the top of your margin or at the top of the chapter itself, it says the song of Moses. And the song is a prophecy. <clears throat> and you might say, well, this would be very good. They've just come out of captivity. They've come out of... Forty years in the wilderness, this must be a pretty happy song. And, of course, when you start off reading it, it is. There's some wonderful things here. Verse 7 says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, 
He set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. Did you realize that? That all the peoples of the world are where they are in China, in South America, India, Indonesia. They are where they are for the very purpose that when God poured out the blessings on Ephraim and Manasseh, this choice land was ready for you. And the choice lands of Canada and Australia and South Africa and New Zealand were ready for us, the Ephraimites. And so we went into those countries and we have reaped the blessings of more than 200 years because of the obedience of Abraham. And we have not been grateful to our great God. And so we read, as we read on, <clears throat> what happened to our people. But Jeshurun grew fat. Jeshurun is a name for Israel, a cipher. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you are obese. I mean, what an amazing prophecy. What's the word that is on people's lips all the time these days? Besides food? The word is obesity. And here it is in your Bible. Here it is. You are obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy. With foreign gods, with abominations, they provoked him to anger. Verse 19, And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not, by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. You know, that's what's happening to us right now. Notice it says, I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. Al-Qaeda is not a nation. In fact, how do you attack Al-Qaeda? You can't capture their capital city. You can't put all their leaders in jail, even though they've done what they've done down here in Guantanamo Bay. But you, that's what God said. That's what he prophesied. That's what he said would happen. Notice verse 22, for a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap disasters on them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence and bitter destruction. I will also send against them the teeth of beasts with the poison of serpents of the dust. The sword shall destroy outside, and there shall be terror within for the young man and the virgin, the nursing child with the man of gray hairs. This is the prophecy that is coming upon us. And so as we read this, <coughs> you know, I've got in my notes here, the song of Moses is scary. It's not easy to read. 
when we understand how it is beginning to be fulfilled right before our very eyes. Recently, Mr. Meredith uh, discussed the book of Amos, and he showed how the whole family of Israel will be punished. Today, we're going to look at another of the prophecies, that of Hosea. This particular prophet speaks more particularly to Ephraim. Let's turn to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4. And notice the prophecies. I have entitled this sermon, Ephraim's Gray Hair. Because we have the English people, we are now an old lion with loose teeth. And the mane of the British lion is gray. And he's lost his vigor and his virility. And uh, we're at a, a sad time in the time of Britain's history. If any of you have been to London, you take a drive around Trafalgar Square, there are four big lions at the, at the four corners of the uh, Nelson's Column. And they are symbolic of the, of the strength and the power and the pride of the British people. But sadly, the British lion is not, not what she used to be, or not what he used to be. Hosea chapter 4, and uh, starting here in verse 1. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint. You know, when we were growing up, at least my generation, there were restraints upon us. We were told, you sit there and you don't move until I tell you. I remember that very well. It was either my parents or my teacher. And you feared authority. Uh, there were restraints. There were rules. You know, if we went off to a, a dance, uh, then there were rules there. You know, that the girls, the guys were not allowed outside. You know, when the girls went outside, and uh, we had to stay inside and, and dance. That was what we were there for. <laughs> but you know, there are no restraints now. And so it says here in uh, uh, verse uh, uh, verse 2 again, we'll read that. It says, by swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. You know, that's happened in Britain. They've had to stop fishing for cod in the North Sea. I visited a, a town at Lowestoft in, uh, <clears throat> in uh, the east of England just recently, and I went to the old Maritime Museum. They said, we haven't caught herring here since the early 60s. And yet herrings were the staple, you know, diet of many people in England. They said, we can no longer fish for cod because the Spanish have taken them all. Because the European Union said, 
These are not British waters, these are European waters. And we will let anyone fish in these waters. And they worked it out so that the British could no longer fish. And the Spanish caught all the fish and then sold them back to Britain. And that's what's happened throughout the continent of Europe. <coughs> Notice what it says here in uh, Amos chapter 4. It says in verse 4, Now let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priests. Therefore you shall stumble in the day, the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother, that is your country. <coughs> so here we have quite a, an amazing prophecy. And then in verse 6, notice the reason. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. And so what's happened is, the ministers of the Church of England, many clergymen, have lost their understanding. Their knowledge has gone. I had a phone call recently from a, uh, someone who reads the Tomorrow's World, and he was really upset. He went down to his local <clears throat> church and went to the vicarage. He wanted to meet the vicar. Knocked on the door, and the vicar came to him holding his boyfriend's hand. Now, that is common. What's happened is the situation has developed where you either accept that lifestyle, uh, <clears throat> and you can stay on, or you leave the church. And so after a while... The church only ends up with those people who either practice that lifestyle or accept it. So that's what's been happening in Britain over the last few years. I'm sure the same thing's happening here in this country. <clears throat> Notice Hosea chapter 5 verse 3. Hosea chapter 5. God says, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. They do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst. And they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Notice that. Israel and Ephraim. The whole of Israel. And Judah also stumbles with them. With their flocks and herds they shall go to, the, to seek the Lord, but they will not find him, because he has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten, it says here, pagan children. The old King James says, strange children. Now notice, now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. Once again, this is an unfortunate rendering. Because the old King James, if any of you have one there, it says a month shall devour them and their heritage. What does that mean? It means sudden destruction. Within a 30-day period, it's all going to conspire and come together in which there will be sudden destruction 
upon the people of Britain and other parts of Europe, the Israelites in Europe. Verse 9, Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of trouble, or day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. How does God do that? He does it through this work. We've got a big job to do. To let the people of Israel, of Britain, of Ephraim, and other parts of Israel, know what lies ahead for them. We have a sense of urgency. We feel desperate for the people that we know and love and respect. We have in, a, in where we live in England, the nicest neighbors you could ever have. We really have grown to love them. And we know what lies ahead. I'd like to just tell them. But I can't do that. I have to talk about things and wait for them to ask questions. Which they do. And I answer them. <laughs> well, one of our neighbors is uh, an, an ex-Fleet Street journalist of 30 years experience. A crusty old journalist. <laughs> Wayne and Suzanne have met them. Uh, I think Dr. Winala, I don't know whether you met them at that time when you were there. Mr. and Mrs. Ames have. But uh, <coughs> we certainly have uh, got some very good friends in England. Notice now in verse um, uh, uh, 1 of chapter 7. Hosea chapter 7, verse 1. God says, when I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was uncovered, and the wickedness of Samaria. Samaria was the capital city of Israel in Ephraim. For they have committed fraud. A thief comes in, a band of robbers takes spoil outside. They do not consider in their hearts. We're going to see how there has been fraud perpetrated in the United Kingdom amongst politicians. We're going to see how there's been there have been robbers taking spoil. I'm going to read this to you as we go through the rest of the sermon. Verse 2, they do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickednesses, wickedness. Now their own deeds have surrounded them. They are before my face. They make a king glad with their wickedness and princes with their lies. You know, these are strong words. Um, he goes on to say in verse uh, 8, Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Uh, we have had so many people, new people, just move right into England in the last um, a couple of years. Uh, they thought that when they opened the borders to the um, people from Eastern Europe, when they joined the European uh, Union, the French and the Germans didn't allow a lot of these Eastern Europeans into their country. But Britain opened the gates and we've had 600,000 Polish people move into the country in the last two years. Been an incredible pressure on the, on the uh, accommodation and uh, housing market. So these things are happening. <clears throat> Verse 9, aliens have devoured his strength, but he does not know it. Yes, gray hairs are upon his head. Uh, gray hairs are here and there on him. Yet he does not know it. And the pride of Israel testifies to his face. But they do not return to the Lord their God, 
nor seek him for all this. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without sense. Where we live, we've got all these little doves that, you know, are constantly sort of flying around and nesting. And, and you go out quite often and you'll see a, you hap, might happen to see a great cloud of feathers, poof, like this, as a sparrow hawk takes one of these silly doves. And uh, you come by and you'll see just a, a pile of feathers and, and you know that the sparrow hawk's been <laughs> visiting again. And it's always the silly dove that gets taken. <clears throat> they call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. Wherever they go, I will spread my net on them. I will bring them down like birds of the air. I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. Did you see that? According to what their congregation has heard. Well, who are they going to hear this from? There's only one group of people that I know of who are really warning Israel, and that's us, the work we're doing. And you know what? We were on a good channel there, a good television channel, getting 300 responses a week. And uh, because of the parent body here in the U.S., this is Inspiration Network, they pulled the plug on us, and our, in, our responses dropped from 300 a week to 50. So we're really asking you to pray that God will open some doors for us there. And we'll be able to get on another channel and get started again and uh, start doing the work of, <clears throat> of warning Israel. So we can see that these prophecies are there for us to understand and to consider. And as I've said to you already, it's not just for Ephraim, but Manasseh as well. <clears throat> so notice uh, verse 10 of uh, chapter 7, or oh, we actually just read that. How has this happened? How is it that Britain has become a silly dove and old and gray and, uh, and, and in the state that she's in? Well, from 1972, successive prime ministers of Great Britain have signed five treaties of the European Union. And each time they have signed one of the treaties, it has given more and more power and authority to the European Union, to Brussels. And just three weeks ago, in, in October, Gordon Brown, Prime Minister of Great Britain, signed away the last of the powers. It will not be actually ratified until Queen Elizabeth II, in the summer of 2008, signs away... Britain's sovereignty. And we're going to take some time now to go through some of the details. You might ask the question, <coughs> how has all of this happened so secretly? How has it all happened under the noses of not just the British, but the French and the Dutch, you know, other Europeans? How has this happened? Well, to understand it, we have to understand a little bit of history, European history. At the end of the First World War, Europeans were absolutely dumbfounded, were absolutely sobered by the reality that the old wars between France and the German peoples or the Austrians, 
the Italians or the Poles, all these people. So all this sort of chessboard manoeuvring that had gone on in, Britain, in, in Europe for hundreds of years, no one could believe that it would come to the climax that it did in the First World War with millions of German soldiers dead, million of, millions of French, British, Belgians, Australians, South Africans, Indians. People from all over the world had fought in the trenches of France and of Belgium. How could this happen? Well, about in the early 1920s, there was a genuine move to come up with a solution. And so they started what was called the League of Nations. <coughs> but there were some politicians who were crying out for something even more binding than just a League of Nations, some sort of supranational arrangement where the laws of a larger United States of Europe could prevail. Now I'm going to read a quote to you from a man that you would be surprised to hear from. You remember in about 1945, 1946, <clears throat> Winston Churchill came here to the United States and he used the term United States of Europe for the first time. He believed and he thought that there could be a United States of Europe, but that Britain would not be a part of it. That the British Commonwealth would continue as a part of the old empire. But he had actually first said this in 1926, 20 years before. Let me quote to you from Winston Churchill in 1926. He wrote, the mass of Europe, once federalized, once united, once continentally self-conscious, would constitute an organism beyond compare. <laughs> However, in 1926, Great Britain was still strong enough for him to add this proviso. We are with Europe, but not of it. We are linked, but not comprised. We are interested and associated, but not absorbed. Interesting. We are separate. We can be our island nation with the dominions and the colonies and the Commonwealth of Britain. And we can stand alongside a unified Europe. And with the United States, we will hold a balance of power that will bring peace to the world. Interesting, isn't it? But do you know what's happened since 1972? <clears throat> Britain has become even more and more linked, more and more interested and associated, and now absorbed. You see? That's what's happened. The British people have been hoodwinked, deluded, lied to, and let up the garden path. Absolutely. Not knowing what has been happening. You know, it is as if someone has snuck in the back door of the British Parliament and the British institutions, the National Health Service, the police force, the army. I'm going to show you and prove it to you. And has changed the inner workings so that on the surface... You still think it's still the British government, 
and you still think everything is British, but operating quietly underneath and behind the scenes is a European monster. Let me show you what I mean. <clears throat> we have on the internet, and, and if you would like to take uh, the, <coughs> the website down so you can look at this yourself, don't believe me, read it on your own website. <laughs> if you go to www, why can't we just say three W's? <laughs> Be a lot simpler, wouldn't it? Go to three W's. <laughs> dot E-U truth. E-U truth. That's all one word. You know, E-U-T-R-U-T-H. Dot org. Dot UK. And you will come up with this particular document. It is published by the United Kingdom Independence Party. And this I've written scribbled notes all over it, you can see, of course. The abolition of Britain by the Reform Treaty in 2008. Now, at this point, I want to give one of those um, disclaimers. What you are about to hear is not necessarily the opinion of the speaker. <laughs> <coughs> I do not endorse everything that this man says. <laughs> However, what he does say is very interesting. So that's how I want to present it. I, have to, I am a citizen of Europe now. I'm an, no, I am a resident, sorry. I'm a, an Australian citizen, but I am a resident of the UK. And I live under UK laws, and I am bound by European Union laws. When my wife and I come to the United States, we have to pretty much every time go through quite a heavy grilling. On our <coughs> boarding ticket, it says SSSS, special, 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 special. Now, three times, three visits ago, I was held at the Charlotte airport for nearly an hour. They looked at my passport, they checked me out, and then they said, you can go. I didn't ask any questions. We did finally find out from the last time we were coming, we asked the lady at uh, US Airways, and she said, ah, I'll tell you what it is. You have an Australian passport, you live in the UK, and you're visiting America. And the lady said to us, therefore, all the flags go up on us. So we're used to it now. We know what to anticipate and expect. <clears throat> So this is written by, or I shouldn't say it's all written by, but the main editor of this particular document is a man by the name of David Noakes, N-O-A-K-E-S, Noakes. And this man <coughs> has made it his business to study European regulations. Not an easy task when you have 110,000 European regulations. But this is, in essence, what he is saying. 
He says, the sixth and the final treaty has now been named. It is the Reform Treaty. Now, this was written in August of this year. So what he speaks of in future tense is actually past tense. <laughs> in other words, the particular treaty has been signed. And uh, as a result, I will make necessary changes to the tense of the verbs. How's that, uh, Mr. Bowman? <laughs> the sixth and final, final treaty uh, uh, is the Reform Treaty and has been signed and will be signed by the Queen in the summer of 2008. This is a year before the deadline set by the Chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel. Well, why should she set the date? Well, because... We have just come out of a time when Germany was the president, had held the six-month presidency, and while Germany held that, they made sure that this treaty went through. Frau Merkel and former French President Giscard d'Estaing are among many European ministers who have confirmed the treaty is the EU constitution almost unchanged. The sixth treaty is the fastest, listen to this, the sixth treaty is the fastest moving and most secret the EU has drafted, opposition to and recognition of the EU as a police state is growing, and they know that speed is vital. Foreign ministers will agree on its terms in uh, September, and then a summit in Lisbon was on the 18th and the 19th of October, uh, to sign the treaty, but definitely before December the 2007. Uh, this should be Gordon Brown's signature, and it's, if any of you uh, have seen pictures of Gordon Brown, what is the thing that normally distinguishes him? Well, it's a dear Scottish face, I can tell you now. <laughs> you'll never ne raise a smile that you can notice. The man can hardly smile. But they showed him signing this particular document and then standing with Nicolas Sarkozy and with Angela Merkel, and he had a big smile all over his face as he signed away Britain's sovereignty. Now, Mr. Apartian said, but is this just in Britain? Is this happening in France? Mr. Apartian, yes. It's happening in the whole of the European Union. I'm speaking to it the subject from a British perspective. But it, when we see this sixth treaty enacted, it means that the, every country in Europe will be the same. <clears throat> the EU has chosen this sixth treaty instead of pushing through its constitution to avoid referendums in its member nations. They had a referendum in France and in Holland, and what happened? The French said, no. And the Dutch said, the equivalent in Dutch because I don't know what it is. <laughs> I can't say nine. Oh, oh, madam. Nee. Danke. Danke. Ja. Yeah? <laughs> we have a Dutch lady in our midst, so it's very handy <laughs> when you need a translation. <laughs> mm. Each of these six treaties are completely illegal under the British Constitution. 
our 1689 Bill of Rights, our treason laws, and under our common law it is unforgivable that the Queen, her ministers, and our Parliament have committed the criminal act of treason. Now remember, this is this man's interpretation and his words. I'm reading them. Uh, and take that in that context. But he's pretty strong in what he says. He says that the, the Queen, the ministers, and the Parliament have committed treason by signing these treaties and have broken our laws to abolish our nation. The EU will always be illegal in Britain, but once the EU has complete power and control here, we can no more get rid of it than we could Germany had their planned illegal occupation of Britain in 1940 been successful. In other words, the Germans have done what they wanted to do in two world wars without firing a shot. And that's the reality. In fact, uh, on that particular point, let me read uh, this to you. Um, I raided uh, Dr. Winnale's library yesterday afternoon. <laughs> I did uh, speak to uh, Mrs. Um, <clears throat> O'Gwyn and ask her to report the theft. <laughs> he accosted me here this afternoon, <laughs> and uh, he's taking me down to the police station after the sermon. <laughs> Under the powers of the European <laughs> Regulation 62347, <laughs> I ex expect to spend ten nights in jail without any representation. <laughs> <coughs> Listen to this. This is uh, uh, Rodney Atkinson writes this, uh, this book, Europe's Full Circle. Uh, some of you might know his brother, Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean is Rowan Atkinson, and Rodney Atkinson is his brother. This man's not as funny. because what he has to say is a lot more serious than uh, Mr. Bean. Mind you, Mr. Bean doesn't say anything anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. But listen to what Helmut... This was written in 1996, so understand the context. Helmut Kohl, like his German predecessors, has always believed that political power would follow economic power. Herr Kohl said, we want the political unification of Europe... The construction of the House of Europe remains the only real guarantee of freedom and peace in the 21st century. Doesn't that sound noble? He then went on to say, the future will belong to the Germans when we build the House of Europe. So make no mistake, the Germans are in charge of Europe. They are in control. I'd like to read this little section. <clears throat> this is from Winston Churchill's The History of the Second World War, Volume 1, The Gathering Storm, of course, page 546. <clears throat> he said, for some years, Nordic meetings had been arranged in Germany, uh, to which large numbers of Norwegians had been invited. German lecturers, actors, singers, and men of science had visited Norway to promote culture. <clears throat> All this had been woven into the texture of the military plan and a widely scattered internal pro-German conspiracy. The president of the Norwegian parliament, Karl Hambro, has written, In the case of Norway, the Germans, under the mask of friendship, 
tried to extinguish the nation. What stupefied the Norwegians more than the aggression itself was the national realization that a great power, for years professing its friendship, suddenly appeared a deadly enemy, and that men and women with whom one had intimate business or professional relations, who had been cordially welcomed into your home, were actually spies and agents of destruction, collaborating and elaborating the most detailed plans for the invasion and subsequent enslaving of our country. And then Winston Churchill closes with this paragraph. The king, the government, the army, and the people, as soon as they realized what was happening, flamed into furious anger. But it was too late. And that's what will happen to us. It will be too late. Because these things are building and happening right now. Now let me read to you a little more from this particular treatise. <clears throat> it says the leadership... Oh, sorry, where are we here? Ah, talking about the, the European Union. And one thing I probably should tell you. You think in America that the European Union is, an, is a democratically elected parliament. Is that what you think? Do you think that the European Union is controlled by something like the Senate and the House of Representatives? Is that what you think? No. It, is, it does have a European Parliament. There are members of the European Parliament, but they just talk to each other. It is just that, a talk fest. The real regulations and all the laws and rules of the European Union are established by the European Commission. And the European Commissioners, all 26 of them, are not elected. They are appointed. They are appointed by their own friends, by their own governments. And so they're not elected. They are appointed. The European Court of Justice is the highest court in Europe, and it can overrule the other superior courts of other countries. The House of Lords was always the highest law in the land in Britain, but people more and more in Britain, if they don't like their judgment from their local court, they appeal to the European Court of Justice. So you can see this is not what you many people think it is. This is a dictatorship. People are appointed. And listen to this here. <clears throat> the EU auditors have found that fraud is so widespread that they have refused to sign off the EU accounts for the last 10 years. 10 years. Whistleblowers like Marta Andreasen, the EU budget director, who in 2005 couldn't, found the EU couldn't account for 95% of its £66 billion budget are simply fired for telling the truth. And here, my wife, as a good support to me, went to the internet and she found what Marta Andreasen, former Chief Accounting Officer, European Commission, had to say. She said the accounting system did not respect any minimum accounting principles of double entry, 
I could not trust the computer system to operate efficiently or coherently. I was literally signing blind and being responsible for it. The worst thing about the system was that it left no trace of who had put an order in, or at what point it had been changed, or who had intervened in the process. There was a lack of separation of duties, so that the directors running the programs were the ones authorizing the payments. <laughs> at this point, I felt the system I was operating was totally open to fraud, and there was no willingness to change the system. When she wrote that, they sacked her. And nothing's happened since. That was 1990, uh, no, sorry, 2005. <coughs> Europe, <coughs> Europe works by bribing politicians into huge salaries and expenses to vote for Europe against the best interests of their own voters. I was listening to a, a BBC program the other day. They said an Estonian member of parliament in his own country if he becomes a member of the European Parliament, will be paid 17 times the salary that he had in his own country. Where would you like to be? In your own country or in the European Parliament? Hmm. A no-brainer, I think you call it in this country, don't you? Hmm. So, uh, European corruption is now exploding through our civil service. A shadow EU government, listen to this, a shadow EU government lives inside our bureaucracy, headquartered in the office of the Deputy Prime Minister. It includes many parts of government, including the Regional, Regional Development Association and the Regional Assemblies. An EU organization, the common purpose, is a branch with also having its headquarters in the office of the Deputy Prime Minister. And it's also in the police, the National Health Service, which is, it is destroying from within. The EU's 111,000 regulations, when fully enforced, will transform Britain from a free market economy into a Soviet-style command economy, close, um, closing hundreds of thousands of small businesses. They will also control our personal lives far more closely than those who were Soviet citizens. The Queen signed the 1992 Maastricht Treaty, which adopts the EU regionalization plan. This will abolish England's 48 counties and replace them with nine European regions, each with their own regional capital, which will report directly to Brussels not to Westminster. Can you imagine if you had the capital of the North American Union in Mexico City and they infiltrated your government so that when the new country, North America or Normerica, came into existence, Washington would be nothing more than a museum piece. And you would be controlled by members of a North American commission. That's the equivalent of what's happening in Europe. 
The EU has controlled our immigration since 1997. <coughs> One million immigrants arrived last year, according to the city forecaster. Actually, it was 903,000, so not quite a million. I rounded that off. If the Sixth Treaty is signed, we lose our right to withdraw, and Britain will cease to be a nation. Now, of course, Mr. Armstrong and Dr. Meredith have always said, well, Britain will never be in the European Union. Absolutely right. They'll be kicked out. But not after they've, been, they've lost so much of what they used to have. <clears throat> Let me read this to you. Uh, it says, The Civil Contingencies Act of 2004 allows government to confiscate anything you possess permanently. It could be your house. It also gives government the right to forcibly move its population around to different locations. You can be left with no place to call your own and live like a refugee. The only check and balance here is a minister who just needs to utter the words, this is a national emergency. Well, you can imagine if you had floods. Isn't that a national emergency? So you move everyone. But you can call anything a national emergency and move people. <clears throat> if a demonstration or a strike that a government doesn't like is being organized, they can cut off communications in a town, phones, mobiles, the Internet, TV, and block all access to that town, including closing the roads and railways. It has all the powers and more of Adolf Hitler's Enabling Act of 1933. This is dictatorship, and they're not answerable to anyone. Let me read on. <clears throat> what will life be like in the EU after the Sixth Treaty is signed? Now, let me now say this. <clears throat> this might not happen immediately. It might take two years, three years. Parts of it might be in, you know, enforced, but the legislation is there. Let me read this. Our Westminster Parliament immediately will become pointless as its remaining powers are transferred to Europe. Remember the analogy I gave of Mexico City being the capital of North America. It is the formal end of Britain. Britain's 153 embassies around the world will be closed as the ink from the Queen's signature dries. As Tony Blair refused to admit, this has been agreed to by Jose Zapatero, the Prime Minister of Spain. After the EU abolishes our 48 counties, uh, your address would change. See, at the moment, our address is 19 High Street, Croxton, Cambridgeshire, Great Britain. We will then become 19 High Street, Croxton, Eastern Region, European Union. Britain will disappear. The national anthem of the European Union, the Ninth Symphony of Beethoven. You know that one? Beautiful piece of music, but that's the only national anthem you'll be allowed to sing. God Save the Queen will disappear, as will the Union Jack. The red, white, and blue 
of the British flag that has flown over the whole world will be pulled down for the last time, and this will be the flag of former Britain. You're listening, I notice. Would you like the stars and stripes to disappear? <clears throat> the EU will take control of our police, army, Royal Navy, Royal Air Force, our nuclear weapons, currency reserves, North Sea oil, everything that is Britain's strategic assets. Serving officers in our police, army, navy and air force already know that they will take an oath to the EU instead of the Queen. Here we have <coughs> something which I took from the internet just the other day. The Mercian Regiment. And that doesn't mean anything to you, does it? No, it doesn't to me either. <coughs> but this has just come into effect in September this year. I happened to be up in Staffordshire. I was uh, speaking in Stafford on a Sabbath, and I stayed in a hotel, and they had a picture of His Royal Highness, Prince of Wales, and he was investing a new regiment, which was to incorporate the 1st Battalion, 22nd Cheshire Regiment, the 1st Battalion, the Worcestershire and Sherwood Foresters Regiment, the 1st Battalion, Staffordshire Regiment, and the West Midland Regiment, to be combined into the Mercian Regiment. Do you know what's so convenient about this? This is the same region that the European Union has already designated will be one of the European regions. As this particular author says, once the ancient realm of King Offa and the engine room of the Industrial Revolution, today modern Mercia is characterized by opportunities and variety. We maintain close links with the counties, drawing on the strengths of this confident and vibrant region. <laughs> because this is what it is. Now, it probably doesn't mean a lot to you, but if you imagine all the states here in the south of Florida, Georgia, South and North Carolina, all being amalgamated into just one region and called the Southeastern Region. Uh, would you like that? I think you'd find that a little difficult. But that's what's happening. Many people will be excluded from their jobs that they know best, as the EU demands that you must pay to be retaught the very job you're doing, and pay for a certificate before you can be employed. Hundreds of thousands of small businesses will close with the enforcement of the remaining 100,000 EU regulations. Under EU regulations, it is already illegal for you to repair your plumbing, electrics, or your car. That was from January the 1st, 2006. You can't change the oil in your car in the EU. I can just imagine some of you big rev heads having a hard time with that <laughs> here in the, in the US of A. Uh, already... <clears throat> we are taxed for the amount of carbon dioxide we produce. I bought a car the other day. I had to make sure that it was a low carbon dioxide polluting car. I bought one which is only 2.4 litres. And that, in England, is a big engine. 
2.4 litres. Hmm. <clears throat> no, we don't have Dodge Rams there. <laughs> or very few. <laughs> Under EU regulations, as it says, it's now illegal for you to repair your plumbing. And if you buy a boat in, in the UK that's over six feet long, and built after the EU Recreational Craft Directive of 1999, and you don't pay the EU £4,000, that's $8,000, to measure your boat, right? you'll get six months' imprisonment. My wife had to go in and uh, get this passport visa the other day. They said, you can wait for 14 weeks and we'll give it to you, or if you'd like, you can come into our office and pay £500, $1,000, and we'll give it to you in one day. And that's what it cost us. EU regulations. Yes. <clears throat> so... Once the Sixth Treaty is signed, Westminster's remaining powers are transferred to Brussels and Westminster is left with the process, sorry, the powers of a county council. The, it says here, uh, at no physical risk to herself, the Queen could have fulfilled her duty as a constitutional check and balance by refusing to sign the five treaties. But she has joined with her Prime Ministers. The Queen's aspirations are not ours, she clearly serves a higher and darker master. The faith she defends cannot be the one we think it is. Her, her father, King George VI, must be turning in his grave. And that's that man's, this particular man's estimation of it. Well, I think I've given you enough information there to understand what's happening. <clears throat> but let me ask you this question. What about the United States? Are you safe from all of this? Well, all countries will soon have to comply with thousands of EU regulations if they want to trade with the EU. Let's go to Revelation 13, Revelation 13, verse 3, and see how all that we've been reading about has been prophesied ahead of time. Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. This is, of course, the, the beast of Revelation, the European Union. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Did you read that? All the world. Not just all of Europe. All the world marveled and followed the beast. For how long? End of verse 5. For 42 months. Verse 7. It was granted to him, that is, the uh, beast power, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Did you notice that? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Europe is going to dominate the world. Yes, including China and India initially. That's why you get the, the, the eastern powers rising up they will have realized that they've been hoodwinked. But the whole system, <clears throat> notice verse 8 though, all who dwell on earth will worship him. 
whose names have not been written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Can I ask a question of you all? If you are baptized, is your name written in the book of life? Indeed it is. And you will not worship this beast. And for God's people, who have been faithful, they will be in a place of safety. But not all of God's people will be in a place of safety. And some, as it says, the beast power will make war against them. You notice in verse 14, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Drop down to verse 16, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast for the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding, that's us, calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, his number is 666. You see, these are prophecies that show that the whole world will come under the power of the European Union. What about the American people, the Australian people, the South Africans and the Canadians and the New Zealanders? What will happen to them? <clears throat> well, God tells us in Jeremiah chapter 30 that this is a time of Jacob's trouble. This is the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7. <clears throat> Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. You know, there's a scenario that you could possibly paint, I don't know how true this would be, of where, after so much drought and disease and economic collapse here in this state, in this country, Americans could be forced to sign up to slave-like conditions to either work in the United States for European-controlled powers and, and, and companies, or take up positions and jobs in places like Africa and South America, where because you have good skills as electricians and plumbers and, and you know, tool makers and whatever your particular talent is, you, are, you go there to try and survive and virtually live as slaves. It's happened before. You know, it's really interesting. We have a lady in the London church, <clears throat> very nice lady, and she's from the Philippines, and she has joined some of the millions of OFWs, overseas Filipino workers, that the Philippine government organized to be sent to Saudi Arabia, to Middle East, to England, here in the United States, to work as domestics as nurses in hospitals. They have to be, they don't get paid directly. Their money has to go back to the Philippines. And then they get, some of that money is then paid to their families in the Philippines. Right? But the, the government takes a cut of that money. Can you see a similar situation? See, we are so used to the land of the free 
but we've been so free that we've sinned before our God and he will take the freedom away. We love our people, don't we? We don't want this to happen. We don't want to see our people suffer. Notice Jeremiah 26. Jeremiah chapter 26. When Jeremiah was speaking to the, <clears throat> the Jews in, in Jerusalem, in verse 3 of Jeremiah 26, he said, Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way, that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me to walk in my law which I have set before you, and then he goes down, he says, this is what will happen. Verse 13. Now therefore, Jeremiah says, amend your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. I was so pleased to hear about your governor of Georgia here, who called on the people to pray and ask God to give them rain. You know, that's the sort of leadership we need in this country and in our country. But we need to go further. We need legislatures, legislators to change the laws according to God's laws. It can happen, but you know, we are truly coming to the confluence of two great prophecies. The prophecy of the day of Jacob's trouble and the rise of the beast power, and they will meet at that point where the great tribulation begins. And that's why none of us can sit comfortably by and say, well, we'll be safe, we'll be okay. No, if we are prepared to lay down our lives spiritually day by day, in prayer and fasting, in zealous overcoming, in praying for our, our president, in praying for this country, this great country, in hoping that God might relent, if we then do our part in overcoming our own sins and our own life, then we are pleasing before God. And so at this time, I take the opportunity of wishing you all well in your Christian lives. I take this opportunity of asking God's blessing upon you as individuals, as families, but more importantly, as examples to this nation, that you might truly be the force and the power that God wants to ultimately bring to the whole of this world when he restores his government.